The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And the only place to hear the much anticipated, never duplicated, Duff McKagan joke of the week. (laughs) Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan, calling you from San Antonio, Texas, on tour still, you know. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody out there is doing well. Listen, my friend Tony uh, asked me not to say his name backwards. I said, why not? Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> that was a good one. My wife didn't get it, but it was a good one. Must be something in the water there in San Antonio, Texas. Thanks to Duff for delivering the laughs, even while on tour with Guns N' Roses. GunsNRoses.com if you want to pick up tickets to see them live. And you can pick up tickets to see Fozzie live as well. Spotlight on North America starts October 19th in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is, by the way, when our new single, Spotlight, will be released. We're coming to Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska before we wrap up this leg November 6th in Memphis, Tennessee. Go to FozzyRock.com and see all the dates and for all ticket information. Of course, we're doing our famous VIP meet and greet. It's the best in the business. We meet you, take pictures, play a private set for you, even let you sing if you want to. Go to FozzyRock.com to get all your tickets. And also, too, Fozzy coming back to the UK as well. Spotlight on the UK kicks off February 16th in Newport, Wales. Tickets to the show and to the meet and greets are available now, also at FozzyRock.com. All right, today on the show, we're visiting Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. Tis the season to be scary. Let's keep it going with one of the creepiest museums I've ever visited. I've got the Haunted Museum's longest-tenured tour guide, Virginia, along with museum general manager Richard Hunter, and they're walking us through the museum, telling stories about some of the most active items and exhibits in the mansion, sharing their own personal paranormal experiences with the various artifacts. We've got the transaxle from actor James Dean's cursed Porsche 550 Spider. Talk about its storied and evil history. They got the Peggy doll, which has caused terror to many guests who take the tour. You hear about the infamous Dybbuk box, the devil's rocking chair, which inspired the Conjuring 3. And of course, Dr. Jack Kevorkian's Volkswagen van. He's the doctor who pioneered physician-assisted suicide. He's got the van where he's committed those acts, I guess you'd say. The Haunted Museum is a whole room dedicated to haunted and possessed Hollywood artifacts like actor Brandon Lee's jacket that he wore during the filming of The Crow. Actress Sharon Tate's wedding dress is probably uh, the most famous victim of the Manson family. The chair that was next to Michael Jackson's bed, his deathbed. Uh, You got the serial killer room with artifacts from John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, the Night Stalker, Richard Mears, Ed Gein. 
also sharing the history of the mansion itself, which was built in 1938, and at one point in the 70s, it was rumored to be the site of devil-worshipping rituals and human sacrifice. So come get creeped out on the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum Tour with Virginia and Richard Hunter and a cameo from Zach himself, right here, right now, on Talk is Jericho. All right, so we are here, um, Zach Bagans Haunted Museum, and I came here a few months ago with my kids, and this place kind of super blew my mind. Uh, it's not just a, you know, tourist uh, um, ex- uh, attraction, tourist attraction, shall we say. There's some real creepy stuff going on in there. We're not actually in the museum right now, but we're kind of next door in a just as creepy uh, area. What would you call this place, Richard? This is Zach's Black House. We call it the Black House. And uh, I tell you what, Chris, not a lot of people see the inside of this place. So uh, <laughs> I'm lucky. You are. You are. Uh, this this place has seen some pretty exclusive company, but it is not. It's not on the tour. It's not part of the museum. So it's uh, it's VIPs only or RIPs as we call them. Here so the so museum. does Zach work in here? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't live here, but uh, you know, uh, films in here some. Uh, if you watch our uh, our series uh, Haunted Museum, which is on Discovery Plus, uh, new season's uh, going to be uh, coming out here in the f- uh, fall. A date should be announced for it any day to debut. I would guess probably sometime around Halloween time. But a lot of the um, the wraparounds in that show, the intros that Zach does, if you watch, are uh, filmed in here. So Virginia, you've worked here. You said for about five years. Five, yeah, a little over five and a half years. And you are one of the actual guys. And Richard, are you kind of like the manager here? I'm the general manager, okay. yes. Somebody uh, put me in charge of this place. So <laughs> Fools. I don't know what they were thinking. No. But Virginia, you're one of the guides. Yeah. And you were, were here when we went through with the tour. And it seems to me that you have a little bit of, um, uh, of an affinity to, to have a feeling for the energy that's in the Haunted Museum. I don't know if that would be an empath or whatever that would be. Yeah, but you definitely you feel what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the reasons why you, you were attracted to come work here in the first place? Or is it something that you discovered you know, while you were working here? I've always been fascinated by the paranormal. And I've had paranormal experiences before I worked here. And then when I started working here, there were people on my tour. It was a daily basis where somebody would lose consciousness or throw up or have nosebleeds. And Zach was like, what is going on with your tours? He goes, you're like a magnet for this stuff. And I thought, oh my God, I had no idea. But it's to the point now to where I can walk into the museum and you can just feel, man, I bet Zach added something or he went into the basement and did something Mm -hmm. just to poke the bear. And you know, it's just that feeling. Get. Now, is, is the museum itself, I know because Zach's been on, on this show before, is this one of the buildings that he's bought that has some sort of a history? Or Oh, yeah. So tell us about the actual, about the actual museum building itself because there's a basement down there that mm. you just feel a lot of heaviness and creepy vibes. So what exactly is this place? So the, the Haunted Museum was originally the Wangert Mansion. Uh, Cyril Wangert, who was an early developer here in Las Vegas, built the home for his family in 1938. So we're, you know, it's all closing in on 100 years old, the house is. Uh, his family lived there until the 1970s, and then uh, it was uh, also abandoned for quite a bit of time. And that's where uh, rumors started, rumors that were since in the last few years confirmed by one of the family members who was living in the home at that time throughout the 1970s that there were 
devil worshiping rituals, uh, rumors of human sacrifice, things occurring down in the basement. And so uh, the museum, it's been the Haunted Museum since 2017, so October is going to be six years for us. But uh, Zach bought the house specifically uh, with the museum uh, in mind, but not only that, he, and he's told me this story uh, several times, you know, he, he knew he wanted a location for a museum. Nothing was feeling right. D- few deals fell through. And this particular house at uh, 600 East Charleston, the old historic Wangert Mansion, he said uh, he didn't even realize it was available. But when he walked into it, not only did he get goosebumps, not only did he immediately feel the energy of it, but he knew that this had always been his house. That makes sense. Like, you know, on the astro plane, this had he he lived here before he lived here, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like Virginia said, anytime Zach comes to the museum, and I get this question a lot. You know, people will say, "Well, does, does Zach ever come to the museum?" You know, sometimes you see a celebrity license their name to something; they're not that involved. Quite the opposite with Zach. He's here. He's in and out all the time. If he's not filming, there's nothing in the museum down to a a candle on a table that he didn't put right mm-hmm. there, right? And anytime he's in here. He goes down to the basement. He has certain things in the Necronomicon he likes to read from, and it always stirs stuff up. I think, you know, you can always just kind of, even if you didn't know he had been here, you'd be like, what's going on today? Was Zach here earlier this morning, yesterday? What happened? You know, sure enough, that always seems to be the case. So tell us about, I mean, like I said, there's so much in there. It takes about, I don't know, two and a half hours Mm -hmm. to go through the entire place and get the entire tour. Talk to us about, and I want to ask you about some certain things as well. Tell us about some of the the artifacts that are in there that are a little bit more, um, shall we say, uh, evil than others. The one that I have the most issues with is the Dibby box. And it seems like it's getting uh, a lot more in that room for me lately. I'll see things. People just feel really weird in that room on uh-huh. my tour. Um, some people feel really nauseous and sick in that room, but it just seems like it's getting worse up there for me. Um, I don't tell management every single time something because they're probably gonna be like, oh man, again? Mm-hmm. Man, what is going on up there with Virginia? You know, because I had an incident where I exited uh, the Dybbuk box room. It was just a few weeks ago and I was presenting Peggy's room and something pushed me from the side and I ran into the woman next to me and I was like, but there's nobody next to mm-hmm. me. And I felt a hand on my shoulder. felt something push you. I yeah. did. And I looked at the woman and I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then I felt something hit my hand. My flashlight, it flew out of my hand and hit the woman in front of me. And I was like, holy crap, what the hell? And then everybody on the tour saw it. Everyone on the tour saw it. And they were like, was that Peggy? Was that Peggy? And they asked, Peggy, was that you? And we hear, yup, from the spirit box. I was like, oh my God. We should explain too, Peggy is the haunted doll that lives in the room next door to the Dybbuk box. So they're neighbors. Great, now Peggy's coming out. And you're not supposed, is, is Peggy the one that you're not supposed to look at in the eyes? Yeah. Right. So before we get to Peggy, because that was an interesting one, what exactly is a Dybbuk box? Uh, the Dybbuk box is a wine cabinet that, uh, her name is Havila. She was a uh, Holocaust survivor, and she fled Nazi Poland 
and she wound up in Spain and she believes that Dybbuk followed her from the concentration camp. Uh, Dybbuk is a Jewish word meaning demon. She had seances to capture that Dybbuk in the wine cabinet and that's exactly what she did. There's a certain way that you seal a Dybbuk in a box. Um, Hmm. I personally, I'm afraid to look up how to do it. It's like I don't want to dabble in that because I already have problems in there, so I don't want mm-hmm. to find out. But uh, some people have told me that it's like you could you seal it with like hot wax, and then you say some things around it to seal the dybbuk. But uh, it is uh, a demon. The box had passed through several owners as well since the Holocaust survivor had it. And those two guys didn't want anything to do with it either. It's interesting. A lot of the artifacts at the museum, some of them, sure, Zach seeks out and wants to exhibit them, and he's got a fascination with it. You'd be surprised how many items come to him because somebody says, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. You know, not only do I not want it, the person who owned it before doesn't want it. Uh, Here, you take it, deal with it. And, uh, you know, this, this is the home for that sort of thing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Where would Zach find, you know, a, a Dybbuk box, so to speak? He mentions people sometimes give him stuff. Does he also scour the planet looking for some of these? Because there's stuff that we'll talk about I can't even believe that he actually owns. Yeah. But for, like, a Dybbuk box, like, a, you just don't go to, like, you know, Dybbuk boxes or us and then pick one up off the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, yeah, yes, I mean, both. You know, it's uh, he's always got his eye out for those things. You know, some of these artifacts really had infamous reputations even before they came to the Haunted Museum. The Dybbuk box was one. The Devil's Rocking Chair was another one, you know. Sometimes it's once he's approached about an item, he already knows the history very well. In fact, uh, just not to get ahead of you, but at some point I've got some, I'll give you a little exclusive. We've got a new item coming to the Haunted Virginia doesn't even know what this is yet. <gasps> so I'm going to tell you first uh, what we've got coming here in another month or so. But it is something that has a very storied uh, history hmm. with it like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's people know that Zach is the go-to guy for that sort of thing. So yeah. a lot of times people are reaching out. Uh, so it, I don't think it takes too much scouring on his part because a lot of these items, not only do they come to him, they just sort of seem to find their way right. here. And I had that experience with the uh, the, the cursed Dennis Hoff Lamar Odom bed uh, that's here in the it house. Tells, you mentioned that in your email. Tell me a little yeah, bit about so, that. So this is... This, this is when I knew this place was for real, if I didn't know it before. Um, I worked, uh, before I worked here at the Haunted Museum, I worked as a, a media director for Dennis Hoff, who was the guy that owned the Bunny Ranch and the Love Ranch and all the legal brothels in Nevada. And uh, I was there in 2014, I guess it was, when uh, Lamar Odom, the uh, Lakers basketball player, the guy was married to Khloe Kardashian, uh, came in, he was spending three days there in the brothel in the VIP suite, and uh, he had a series of strokes on this bed and nearly died. 
And I happened to be the, the person who found him and administered the CPR and called 911 and dealt with all that, uh, which was, you know, I think most people, they go through their lives, they don't think anything like that's ever going to happen, where right. you're really staring death in the face. So uh, that experience never left me. Three years almost to the day that he had that series of strokes and almost died, Dennis Hoff, the owner of the brothel, did in fact die on that very same bed. Hmm. So now, fast forward about a year later, I'm here working at the museum. There is no connection. Zach did not know Dennis. He did not know Lamar Odom. No connection to the brothels. Nothing. I come to work one day, and Zach says, hey, look what I got. And he shows me this bed. <laughs> and I, of course, immediately recognize it because... I gave a guy CPR on that That's bed, right, right. but here's the thing, Zach did not know that. Mm. And I'm looking at the bed, this thing, I thought I'd never see that again in my life, and I said, I gotta tell you something. And I told him the story, and it just blew his mind because he said that's what happens with him in these artifacts. In this instance, it happened with me. It's like something followed me here, mm-hmm. you know? It's like a page from your dark past. If you're here at the museum long enough, one of those pages will show up. Right, right. Let's go back to, um, was it Penny the doll? Or Peggy. Pe- Peggy, Peggy, Peggy. Let's talk about Peggy because the, 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 the story is and, and the rule is when you go into Peggy's room, it's a, it's a doll, uh, but don't look at Peggy in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And my son looked Peggy in the eye and had a headache for the rest of the night. Now, oh, whether that's here or there, but tell us a little about the story behind Pe- uh, Peggy and why you shouldn't be looking at her uh, in the face. Uh, Peggy is a demon-possessed doll, and uh, paranormal investigator Jane Harris from London, she owned Peggy, and she uploaded a video of Peggy, and almost immediately, there was like 80 comments of people having severe abdominal pain, nosebleeds, heart palpitations. A lady even had a full-blown heart attack just by viewing Peggy online. Hmm. Yeah. Peggy's no joke. I've seen that doll do some crazy stuff. So what do you think? Is there a demon trapped inside of Peggy? Some kind of a spirit or something along those lines? Or I do. I 100% do because um, Peggy <laughs> proved herself to me one time because I actually I would never do this, but I actually asked Peggy for a favor one time. Hmm. There was uh, a gentleman that came through the uh, tour from the time he entered to almost to the very end of the tour. He was above and beyond rude, and he was just so out of line in every room. I put them in the Dybbuk box room, and I started the video. I ran over to Peggy's room, and I asked her for a favor. Shame on me, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I got that group down into the devil's rocking chair, And I started the video, closed the door about a minute in. I heard the loudest bang. I was like, oh, my God, she killed him. It was that loud. Wow. I opened the door, and the trim on the wall, the entire trim on the wall, looked like it had been ripped off, and it hit him. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, are you okay? (laughs) That was insane. And I was like, how am I going to call this into command? (laughs) How do you call it into command? I did. I was like, "Um, command, uh, can you come out in the little foyer area? And here I am holding this big thing. And they're like, 
what happened? And I was like, well, I'll tell you later what happened. <laughs> Peggy did me a favor. Yeah. Um, so much other cool artifacts in there to discuss. The, the, the one that I would really, there's a lot, but the um, axle, the transaxle from James Dean's Porsche. Yeah. And just the whole story behind that, obviously James Dean died in the wreck with mm-hmm. that transaxle. Axle. But the fact that, it's, that it continued to be haunted for years to come. It's like a real-life Christine or yeah. something along those lines. First of all, tell us a little bit about that transactional. Second of all, how in the hell did Zach find this? So this is actually a good example of a mainstream avenue. This mm-hmm. was up for auction. Uh, Zach was the high bidder, uh, and boy, was he. And, uh, how much did that cost, do you think? He paid, oh, I know. I, he paid almost $400,000 for wow. it. Um, the, the, the story behind the transaxle is that uh, James Dean was a racing enthusiast. Uh, He was on his way to a a race and uh, he was driving a very rare Porsche and uh, was killed in a a head-on collision. But uh, the transaxle from the car, and it's a big, you've seen it, it's a big piece of steel. Mm. Uh, It is the only known piece of the car to still exist. Mm. The rest of the car has vanished. Uh, That transaxle, after it was in the car that killed James Dean, was put into several other race cars, causing uh, other deaths and other uh, very serious injuries. So again, one of those items that people tend not to want, you know, it because it had this in, this incredible value, somebody was holding on to it. Uh, and it was also, uh, lucky for us, easily verified because Porsche keeps, uh, you know, precise records and the serial number is on the side of the things, it's a piece of steel. So Porsche themselves, they were able to uh, validate its authenticity. But uh, once I knew it was up for sale, uh, and I remember he told me, he's like, we're getting it. And not not maybe I'll be the he's like I I, I will have that <laughs> and it's going in the museum. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's how he came to that. So sometimes these things, you know, if they have that kind of high profile provenance, then they're in these uh, you know exclusive auctions and things like that, and they'll come to him mm-hmm. that way. Other times, it can be a family member saying, "Hey, this belonged to my." great grandfather and here's the story and uh you know zach is very big on authentication and provenance so anything that comes into the museum has been highly highly vetted uh you know notarized letters uh video testimony uh receipts documentation anytime that type of thing is available very big on he wants to make sure it's legit yeah absolutely the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Uh, Virginia, you mentioned the Devil's Rocking Chair. Another video that, that, that Richard sent me, there was one with the Dimmick Box, somebody who passed out and was freaked out. And then the other one was, was the Devil's Rocking Chair where the lady actually said, you know, get this thing out of here before it hurt, before somebody gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Devil's Rocking Chair and some of the encounters that people have had with it in the museum. Uh, sometimes people will walk in there and they just have a horrible feeling right off the bat. And then other people, the video will start and then they'll just, 
pass out. They're fine through the whole entire tour. But they get in that room. We had two girls pass out at once mm. in that room. One, boom, and then the other, boom. So it, it gets wild around here sometimes. <laughs> it does. I think also it's interesting how disorienting it is for the people that it affects. So like that video I sent you, I actually filmed that. I was the one doing mm-hmm. the interview with the lady. And, you know, when this happens to uh, to guests at the museum, you know, a lot of times when they, if they pass out, when they come to, they're still not, they're not aware of exactly where they are, what's happened. And sometimes it's a real challenge just to console them enough to be able to get them to the exit door. Mm-hmm. You know, that in and of itself can be a process. And what exactly is the devil's rocking chair? So the, well, you want to take that, Virginia? Um, The Conjuring 3 movie, Mm -hmm. the uh, Devil Made Me Do It case, where in this little town, it was in Connecticut, right? Mm -hmm. Arnie Johnson. It's like the first murder in 150 years of the town's existence. Um, There was a little boy, David Glatzel. And the family moved into this house, and he started acting really strange. And he just started not acting like himself and just doing and saying it. He said that he would see, like, an older man in a plaid shirt and jeans, which happened to be the Beast. It got to the point to where they contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren to Mm -hmm. come and help them because it got so bad for the young boy. And uh, they performed an exorcism on the little boy. I think there was a a priest, because they always had a a priest there with them when they did things like this. But it's such a crazy story. The little I was just going to say, it's it's one of the cases, uh, one of the famous cases of Ed and Lorraine Warren, if you've ever heard of them, famous uh, paranormal investigators. Uh, And the latest version of the, the latest installment of the Conjuring series is actually based on the Devil's Rocking Show. Yeah. Yeah. And Zach got that directly from uh, David Gladsell's brother. So that came directly from the family. And we've had all kinds of activity with that chair Mm -hmm. since it's been here at the museum. In fact, when the, when the exhibit opened, it was only open, what, a a few days or a week. Yeah. And there was so much activity in there, Zach closed it. And it stayed closed for quite a while. It was yeah. very unusual to have an exhibit, you know, all set up at the museum, but the doors closed, just deemed to because uh, all of us were crying and yeah. we didn't know why. Yeah. We didn't know that Zach was going to open up the Devil's Rocking Chair that day. I'm like, why am I crying? Why am I crying? And I look down the hall, and other tour guides are crying. I'm like, what in the hell's going on here? And then we're like, Zach is opening up the Devil's Rocking Chair, and I'm like, oh my god. So just uncontrollable crying. Yeah, it was just I didn't even know hmm. what was going on. And you look down and you see your coworkers crying too. You're like, what is going on? And then we find so, out that he decided to open it, but there was so much activity in that room that he decided to make the executive decision of closing it hmm. for the rest of that day. It was yeah. nuts. Yeah, you know, some people, Chris, are more sensitive to this type of thing than others. I mean, uh, you know, every guide that works here doesn't necessarily have Virginia's experience, and every guest that comes through the door isn't necessarily always going to feel something. But I do believe that if you, if you under, everybody feels energy, right? And to me, that's the great unifier here, uh, is that everybody feels the mm-hmm. energy of the artifact. You know, you're, you're a musician. If you've ever held a famous guitar, mm-hmm. it's like you can feel 
the notes that have you're not playing those notes right but you feel the notes that have been sure. played on that guitar before and the 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 bigger the legend and the you know the the deeper the history the more energy you're feeling from from that guitar and i i liken that to the artifacts here at the museum that's definitely what i and do. you can feel that like some of the places i've been you know doing i did a podcast at a haunted hotel in kentucky and we even go on alcatraz and some of the areas there and also too at the haunted museum you can feel a heaviness in the air in some of those places you know and it's completely legit it's not like oh whatever like you feel Mm -hmm. a different vibe when you're around something that has some of that activity and some of that power i've seen people go into the museum with a really cocky attitude Mm -hmm. and then they come out and they have one foot on the fence because they're like what the hell just happened i love that yeah yeah, yeah. i love that if i can i'll tell you a couple of stories dealing with that um, there were three girls on my tour one time. They were very cocky. That's a nice word I'll use, cocky. And uh, Gretchen the doll, she is in the first room. It's, she's a RIP room where the haunted dolls are in a closet. And I told them Gretchen's story. You know, Gretchen's been compared to Robert the doll and uh, Robert the doll Robert the doll is a doll in Key West Florida ah, and right. yeah that doll where you're supposed to ask permission before taking pictures of yeah, him and very, be very, very respectful uh-huh. and uh, Gretchen's been compared to him because the previous owners um, Gretchen they put her on the couch and when they came back she was across the room Wow right she would knock pictures off the wall um, they would hear a, a child crying from a room that they would put her in, and they were a childless couple. They would go to open up the door, and the crying would stop. But I told these three girls that story, and they deliberately went into the dog closet and was above and beyond rude. But guess what? One of them lost consciousness in the next room. Yes. <laughs> I love that when that happens because it's like, Anything else you want to say mm-hmm. while you're on the floor? You, you love when it happens because it proves. I do. I do because it's just, I mean, I don't want anyone to get hurt. Sure. I will make sure they're okay, but I'm also the tour guide that's going to be like, man, I told you not told to do you that. So. Yeah. I told you not to do that. And I think it's also, uh, you know, appropriate to point out that because I, before I was the general manager here at the museum, I, I was a guest. I experienced it just like you did for the first time and was just amazed by it. And when I started talking to Zach about working here, you know, one of the first things he said to me was he said, you know, n- nothing is staged anyway. Nothing is fabricated. All we're doing is just telling the stories. And he said, the rest takes care of itself. And truer words were never spoken because almost immediately after working here you see these things happen and it also has to do i think with energy sometimes that people bring you know some people tend to just be bystanders or passengers and you know witnesses to it and then some people you know like virginia that was in a uh, story about somebody provoking something but somebody you know another person may just be particularly mm-hmm. sensitive to something mm-hmm. but it is so true it's the 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 stories are just and they're they're told 
uh, in an expert fashion by the guides. We're, we're very particular about the guides here, making sure that everybody has every little detail down, that they provide you all the necessary information of the story uh, so that you, you don't necessarily need to know anything about background before you come in. You won't be lost. If you're hearing this going, well, I don't really know much about this sort of thing. Don't worry, we'll get you up to speed uh, if you're on the tour. But as far as the experiences, you know, we just tell the stories and the experiences happen on their own. And they happen on a daily basis. Oh this my God, is yeah. any given day here mm-hmm. at the Haunted Museum. Every day, something, not every day, but a lot of days things happen. Oh, yeah. 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 And then you get leery. You're like, why is everything so quiet around here? Mm. This is weird. Is it mostly people, like you said, like if they're being shoved or if they're just feeling like they're passing out? Like that is that sort of the, the, the things that happen to people that walk through there? Yeah, and sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be, uh, you know, I felt a... I felt a tug. I felt a tug on the back of my hair. Mm-hmm. Or I think my arm is scratched. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't do the, yeah. that. That was the very first thing I ever saw here. We have cameras. Every inch of the museum is covered uh, with cameras. And you see, you've seen some clips on, uh, you know, Ghost Adventures. Uh, there's a, a four-part quarantine episode that was done here during lockdown. Uh, you can see a lot of that as well. But anytime something happens, we go right to the footage. That's where I got the videos that I, I sent you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we look to make sure that somebody isn't just maybe looking to be on tv or you know so if you tell me you got scratched i'm gonna wait and see make sure you're not scratching yourself something like that (laughs) but the Mm -hmm. the very first thing i i've probably only been here a week or two and uh going back to peggy we had put a tour group in peggy's room closed the door and 30 seconds uh after the presentation started this guy he was a big burly guy i remember too because he almost knocked people over when he came flying out of the door (laughs) but the door flew open he came running out he was holding his forearm and when he moved his hand and i shined my flashlight on it he had bleeding streaks down his arm first thing i did was went and looked at the camera right and the guy was just standing still the guy one hand was nowhere close to the arm all of a sudden he you know he he jumped he looked at his arm and bolted out the door I'm to the point now when I get scratched, I'm just like, oh, okay. Just don't even bother. Yeah, anymore. <laughs> not anymore. I was going to ask you for both of you guys, especially Virginia. Do you ever like when you go home? Do you feel things sometimes follow you, or is things just in the museum stay in the museum? You know what? I have a routine that when I leave, that I do every day. If I thought something followed me. I would ask for help immediately. Who would you ask for help from? I would ask Zach. I know he's got like so many religions and everything on speed dial, I'm sure. Gotcha. I'd be like, yeah, I need Someone help. Someone could come cleanse you or whatever needs to be yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I can't have something follow me home because of my right. son. He's sure. severely handicapped. And then right. I have my 87-year-old dad that lives well, with us just, now. You so not in your house to begin with. No, <laughs> absolutely exactly. not. What's up, Absolutely man? not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk about uh, another th- another thing I didn't even know existed. 
which was uh, Kevor- Dr. Kevorkian's van. Yeah. Now let's explain who Dr. Kevorkian is at first for people who might not remember, because about, I guess, 20 years ago, he was in the news, all the rage. Who exactly was Dr. Kevorkian? So Jack Kevorkian was a pioneer of physician-assisted suicide. That is something that is legal in many states mm, now. Now. Right. At the time, it was not. Exactly. But beginning in the 80s through the 90s, uh, Jack Kevorkian was making news in his home state of Michigan because he was assisting terminally ill patients. These were people typically, maybe they have like a Lou Gehrig's disease or something that's going to eventually completely paralyze them to the point that if they wanted to take their own life, they couldn't because their hands won't work. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Kevorkian uh, invented an apparatus that uh, would basically administer a lethal injection to a patient. It had a button that they could control. So we would put the button in their hand, they would hit the button, and that would begin the process but because this was illegal he was having to drive around in an old Volkswagen van meet the patient put the patient in the van go to an undisclosed location assist them and then he would uh, a lot of times put the body in a, a motel room and then he would call law enforcement to come get the body couldn't do any of this with advance notice of course because he was at least at that time committing a crime we have the actual van that Dr. Kevorkian was using. This is the van where countless uh, patients passed away in. That van is inside the museum. Mm. It's in its own room. One of the most active uh, exhibits in the museum, and interestingly enough, disproportionately active with females. Mm -hmm. Don't know why that is, but I'm telling you, I've been here four years now, and way more so with females. Females will feel something. Or They'll feel something. I mean, it, you know, like I said, it could be somebody. We've we've had examples of people passing out, but it could just be a touching. It mm. could just be a, you know, a, a, a feeling. And then sometimes people, I think, will hear. So we do a late night flashlight tour on Fridays and Saturdays only. Uh, after the museum closes, we turn all the lights off. We only allow twenty people in the museum for the entire ninety minute tour, and it's self guided. So we give you a flashlight. We basically say, hey, you're on your own. You can go anywhere you want. I find I do a lot of those, uh, work a lot of those. I find that a lot of people uh, end up having really deep, sincere connections with that particular exhibit on those flashlight tours. And a lot of times it may be because, you know, they've had some a loved one pass away from a terminal illness or something but it's not it's not just the feeling of it they will tell me because we allow uh spirit boxes and other paranormal equipment to be used on those tours they will tell me about direct communications they have with relatives and and uh, you know things that only that relative would know to say to them for example so those are people who go in and they sit alone with that van for you know 15, 20 minutes, something like that, with the door closed, and they come out with some really life-changing experiences. There's a lot of people that come through the museum also, and they don't get past that room. They're like, Mm -hmm. i got to leave. I've had women just break down crying. At that van. Yeah. And, I mean, it's uncontrollable crying. I mean, yeah. Because that that van is just kind of like a a Volkswagen. Mm Mm-hmm bus looking it's not very evil mm-hmm. looking it's just a yep. normal van mm-hmm. yep. so, so would you think that maybe some of the spirits and and, and i don't know people that were uh, that died in that van would be there's around? a lot of energy in that room energy. a lot yeah a it lot. has to be i mean when you think about you know it's heavy enough i think when you visit something that you know is 
a death site of, right. of someone, especially if it's somebody that's significant to you or significant to history. But if you knew there was one location, like that, that van in that big, you know, it's a, it's a Volkswagen microbus. If there was one location where dozens and dozens, I mean, countless, yeah. and the, 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 you know, the, the, we know the number is that high. The exact number uh, is a little debatable just because again, this was, this was all being done under the radar, but you know, you dozens and dozens, upwards of a hundred probably, uh, in that van. If you knew that something had happened just in that one spot over and over and over again, you know, there's a, there's a, a concept called stone tape theory, which is, you know, if something we have, uh, for example, Thomas Edison's, uh, writing desk inside the museum and, you know, where many of his inventions were created, he's, he's writing on that desk. So he's making an impression in the wood with these thoughts and energy. So to draw that correlation, if you had another place like that van where maybe, you know, merciful, but still tragic deaths had taken place over and over and over again in that same spot, you're going to make a real impression right there. Coming in from, from how Zach was able to get that one, was that something that was part of an auction as well? So that one, uh, to my understanding, was actually came from a salvage yard. Uh, now, Jeffrey Figer, who was, uh, he's still alive, and, and you'll, you'll see from time to time, he's a, he's a lawyer that, that will often commentate on famous cases. He uh, was Jack Kevorkian's attorney. And he, uh, uh, Zach interviewed him uh, for an episode of the Deadly Possession Show. And you see a clip of this when you're on the tour and uh, you're in the museum. But Jeffrey Figer is there confirming that that is the van. Hmm. Now, he thought prior to Zach acquiring it, that that van had been destroyed, only to find out that it hadn't been. And he knew, I mean, when I talk about the provenance, you know, uh, and the authentication of the items here in the museum, before anything goes on display, it goes through painstaking verification. The, if you look at the crime scene photos, for example, of the van, the, the exact dents, the exact paint chips, hmm. the exact, you know, uh, deteriorated areas of the van. And, and Figer himself, who was dealing directly with Kevorkian, looked it over and verified all that. Um, there was something that was really interesting to me. It's right outside of James Dean's uh, transaxle. There's some jackets there. Is it some Michael Jackson jackets? Or what is there's something right there? So what, what we've it? got in that area, that's the, the Hollywood exhibit, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, so we have a jacket that uh, belonged to, well, it was the wardrobe that Robin Williams wore in the film What Dreams May Come. Right. Next to that is a jacket that Brandon Lee wore during the production of The Crow, Crow which of right. course is the film that he lost his life on. The Michael Jackson item that you're thinking about is a chair that was next to the bed that Michael Jackson died in. That's and that, that mm -hmm. chair is referred to as the propofol chair because that is where his doctor, Conrad Murray, would sit every night. Again, you want to talk about an, an impression mm -hmm. of energy. Right. That doctor sitting in that same chair every night administering that propofol to Michael Jackson. And in fact, when the, the crime scene was investigated, the death scene, uh, crime scene, that uh, there was an empty canister of propofol underneath that chair. If you look at the chair very closely, you'll see makeup stains from Michael Jackson that are still on the chair. And there's a crime scene photo. You'll see the, the chair right next to the bed where his body was found. So, so some of those items, like obviously you mentioned the, the wardrobe that Robin Williams had and that sort of thing. That's not necessarily a haunted item. That's just more of just something kind of like, oh, wow, that's interesting to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know, yeah. I, your perspective, Virginia. Yeah. But I, I think, again, with energy, yeah, you know, I, you're... 
I think personally it's different with Sharon Tate's wedding dress though. Sometimes mm-hmm. I walk in there and I'll just get a feeling of just sadness, just like God, you know, this mm-hmm. this woman died in such a horrific way. And then James Dean's transaxle right. is my favorite artifact in the yeah, entire museum. I love it. Sharon Tate's wedding dress is an interesting one to bring up because that's part of our Hollywood exhibit as well. So in her case, of course, the most famous victim of the Manson family, yeah. you're talking about an item that within the span of a year was worn at her wedding, you know, presumably the happiest day of her life. And one year later, that dress was hanging in a closet, probably just feet from where she was murdered. It was in the house at Cielo Drive when she was murdered. So, you know, light and dark. I mean, you want to talk about something that, that has these incredibly happy memories attached to it only a year later to witness a horrific murder like that. So, yeah, we have that as well. Now, I had a pretty... Since that's James Dean's transaxle is your favorite, mm. I'll tell you about an experience I had in there. It was pretty amazing. When I first saw it, I couldn't stop crying. Mm. I was like, how am I going to present this? Because we had to, you know, verbally present it when we first got it. And I just cried through each presentation. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, Good morning, James Dean. And when I leave, if there isn't a group in there, I'm going to say, Good night, James mm-hmm. Dean. The next morning, I went in there and I said, Good morning, James Dean. And the whole room filled with cologne. I mm. smelled it. I was like, Oh my God. Wow. I got goosebumps right now talking about it. And we looked up the kind of cologne he wore. It was a uh, French cologne from 1934. And I thought, Man, there's probably no way they still make it. So we went to the mall. And asked them, and they're like, yeah, we still have it. I'm like, can I have a sample? Can I smell it? It was the same scent. And then about a month and a half later, I went into that room and said good morning again. And I smelled it just a faint. And I have witnesses. (laughs) One of the girls that work there walked by, and I yelled at her to come here and just smell this room. And then uh, manager Mike Mm-hmm. I told him, I say, come here, come here, smell this. And they're like, yeah, we do smell it. And I was like, yes. It's I'm incredible, so right? glad. It was, that was amazing. And, and things like that do happen. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in high school, you'll appreciate this. We had a Ouija board and we're like, let's try and like talk to Randy Rhodes. Mm. And long story short, a, a, a blonde hair fell like from the ceiling and there was no one there with long blonde hair and you can say what you want you can be a doubter but just like you smelt the cologne i saw fucking ronnie rose's piece of hair <laughs> I, saw, I saw i can still see yeah. it in my mind's eye and it, oh what could it possibly be that's probably someone was here before but it's like no those those sorts of things the physical mm-hmm. evidence like you said you can smell it yeah. yeah has there been other examples of that at all ever in the museum that, that, that you can think of yeah Sometimes in the Divic box room, I'll smell like a flowery smell. Mm. And sometimes when I'm in there, I'll smell cat urine. I hate that when I smell cat urine in there because that's one of the deals that is connected to the Divic box yeah. is well, you smell. And I hate that. I'm like, okay, time to get out of this room. Yeah, the smell. Yeah, the previous uh, owner said. Gotcha. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Oh. And not because they had a cat. Yeah, <laughs> like right, right. I've had things happen to me in that room that yeah. I never want. To, I was a level of paranormal I wasn't prepared for. I never want to see anything like that ever again. And every time I talk about it, I'm like, 
<laughs> yeah, it was bad. I couldn't go in that room for three weeks. Even as a guide, you can't go in? I couldn't. I was like, I'll go. I can't do it. Virginia will actually, so there's a, if you remember from the tour, Chris, there's a video that plays in an adjacent room, an antechamber that kind of gives you the whole story of the Dybbuk box and all that. And then if you choose to, you can go in and view it. And not everyone does. I should say, if anybody's hearing this and they're, they're, they've never been to the Haunted Museum before, and maybe they're thinking, man, this sounds too heavy for me. It's right. it, the, A lot of the, you know, the exhibits are voluntary. So it's not, un, you don't have to feel bad at all. It's not unusual that somebody might choose to, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out. I'll just wait outside with the tour guide that's perfectly mm -hmm. fine but in virginia's case i know she waits outside she'll she'll present yeah. she'll present the dybbuk box when it comes time to bring the people in but she doesn't even want to wait in the room i'll with start the, box. the video close the yeah. door and i'll wait by the stairs i mm -hmm. will not stay in that I'm room sure by myself men mentally and probably physically taxing on you to be here every day as a guide for some of these things that you're feeling you know what there's a never a day that i go into the dybbuk box room and i'm like oh it feels nice in oh, here yeah. today it's always like you get like something is lurking Mm -hmm. you know and after what i saw in there i always walk through there like this and i know zach is like you know one of his deals is don't be scared because they feed off of that sometimes it's really hard you know mm -hmm. not to go in there and just have the feeling of it's just like oh yeah because i'll see like a dark shadow that looks like one of the managers I call it Shadow Mike. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. It was almost, it, I went almost a year and a half. That's the first thing that ever happened to me. Let me mm -hmm. back up. That's the first thing that I ever saw in that museum. Because the managers, they would wear top hats. And I remember bringing a group into, I opened the door to go into the Dybbuk box. There was a dark shadow crouched down behind the Dybbuk box, looked like it had a top hat on, jumped up and ran out. I was like, whoa. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, Mike scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and then when I saw him in the break room, I said, Mike, you scared the hell out of me. He goes, when? I said, when you were in the Dybbuk box room and you jumped up and ran out. And he goes, I wasn't in there. Oh, wait a minute. Just to give you an idea of the magnitude of that kind of experience, too. I mean, you know, uh, that particular time, I went up to, you know, Virginia was on the radio. All the guides have radios, right, with their pieces. You know, we communicate that way. And she's on the radio, but in a panic, you know, just hysterical. Uh, and running up there to get her and try to lead her out of the room and let's get outside. She, you know... She had no idea who I was, and we'd probably known each other a year at that mm -hmm. point. I mean, if you could just imagine right. somebody that you're that close to, and I'm saying, no, it's me. We're okay. It's me. And, and that person has no idea who, who wow. you are. For and I, I was told what I was saying. I was told what I was doing. Mm -hmm. The only thing I remember is looking over and seeing the only thing it could have been was a demonic entity. It was gray and ashy, burnt looking. It had narrow eyes, no mouth, and it said something to me. But after it said something, it's like, I don't remember. I didn't pass out. I didn't lose consciousness. I don't remember anything. And uh, some of the people are just like, yeah, you were holding on, saying, I don't want to open my eyes. I don't want to see it. I don't want to open my eyes. I don't remember that. I yeah. don't remember that at all. And we, you know, we've had some people, Virginia's our longest uh, tenured guide here at the museum. And, you know, we've had some people who, uh, you know, don't, 
don't make it that long. Uh, right, you know, yeah, sure, this is sure. not for everybody. Yeah. And so there have been other people who have come in and, and felt energies and had experiences like that that dip out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's one nice thing about Virginia is as much as she is a magnet for this stuff, she's also reliable. Just, uh, yeah. But you yeah. know what? I, yeah. I As I said, I couldn't go back in that room for a while. And then... Yeah. One day I was driving into work and I got really mad at myself. I said, you know what? I'm tougher than this. I can do this. I'm going back in that room. And I showed up to work and I said, I'm going back in the Divic box. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah. Oh, well, we have cameras. I'm like, don't tell me you have cameras and you watch me. Don't say that. I said, just let me go in there. And if I feel heaviness in that room... I close my eyes and I know where everything is to point to it. And of course I know everything to say. And then when I'm done, I'm like, let's go say hi to Peggy. Yeah. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk, um, as we start to to wind down here, about some of the serial killer artifacts that you have. And there's a lot of them. And actually, Ed Gein's cauldron, of course, who is the original Leatherface, uh, talk about that. I also want to talk about Gacy's artwork and some of the other stuff that you have. There's some Manson stuff. There's some Bundy stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ed Gein, uh, if you don't know the name, you'll definitely know uh, the influence, as you mentioned. He uh, was uh, a guy who lived in Plainfield, Wisconsin in the 1950s. And he was a loner. Uh, he pretty much uh, had his mother as his best friend, and that was about it. And if that sounds like Norman Bates, that's because uh, <laughs> right? uh, he was the inspiration for the movie Psycho. Exactly. And his mother died, and uh, it really sent him over the edge, and he started grave robbing. And he would dig up women in the local cemetery there in Plainfield, Wisconsin, and he would make uh, artifacts and clothing out of their skin and their, their bones and their remains. Uh, He made a women's skin suit that he could wear to feel closer uh, to her, which again, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was, uh, there was a cauldron in his barn where this, this, these uh, uh, horrific acts were taking place. And he was putting, you know, the entrails and the, 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 the remnants of, of the corpses that he was exhuming into this cauldron. We have the cauldron, the very cauldron. Uh, at the museum that was originally sold at his uh, estate auction there in Plainfield. Everything was uh, was auctioned out of the barn. But, uh, you know, that is an example, uh, just to paint a little picture for anybody who has not been to the museum. One of the things I'm always really proud of uh, when, when guests see the museum is the attention to the detail and the design of all the exhibits. So, Yes, the centerpiece of that exhibit is that cauldron and all the energy that that possesses. 
But when you walk into that room, you are walking into a Midwestern barn in the 1950s. The floors creak, the beams are exposed, the actual shovel mm -hmm. that Ed Gein used to exhume those bodies is hanging in the rafters because we have that shovel as yeah. well. So that would you feel the energy from that cauldron if you were just in a bare room with four walls? I'm sure you would to some degree, you know, but... Uh, we do way better than that because uh, the exhibits are immersive. So when you walk in there, we're, we're taking you back in time. We're putting you in that place just the same way we do with the James Dean exhibit where we put you on that lonely stretch of California mm -hmm. highway back in the mm -hmm. 1950s. Yeah. Women usually get picked on in yes. that room, but lately, at least on my tours, the guys have been getting poked and jabbed and stuff in that room. Oh wow! So I'm just like, wow, this is because this kind is like, of like, different a farm a farmhouse. Uh -huh. What about some of the Gacy stuff? Because he was, a, you know, an artist, shall we say? He got a lot of those types of paintings, and once again. Is Zach getting this cauldron? You said it was at, a, at, a, at an auction. What about these paintings? Mm -hmm. I'm sure this stuff is all pretty highly sought after by collectors. Yeah, so uh, for example, you're right. We have a number of Gacy items, including the last pack of cigarettes that he ever uh, smoked before he was uh, headed to uh, lethal injection. Those came directly from his stepdaughter, Tammy. Uh, the uh, Ted Bundy items that we have, which include the murder kit that That's was found. That's insane. Yeah, the murder the, kit. Yeah. How did yeah. you get that? That came from the detective on the case. The, that sort of thing, I think, is probably more closely monitored now than it would have been in the past. Right. You know, but uh, you know, because because crime scene uh, items, you know, it's like anything else. No matter how famous the case, the police department where it happened, they've got to clear room out because there's going to be more murders and right, crimes and right. that sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. a lot of times, but you know, that sort of thing typically would be released to like next of kin or something like that. Or in Tammy's case with Gacy, he just gave her, you know, the pack of cigarettes. We've got that, some personal cards, birthday cards, things like that, that he sent to her, which that's kind of, you know, when you look at these things for me from a, a history, either a historical aspect or even just the, you know, what can you glean from this that is, is worthy of note. I think it's when you look at say those, the birthday cards that he wrote for her, you're seeing somebody who appears to be just kind of a loving, doting sure. stepfather. And of course she knew none of this was going on at the time. Fool everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think just from a, you know, from a sociological standpoint, there's value in that just to look at that and say, okay, this person wasn't just walking around with a red flag on yeah, top of their of head and everybody knew what was happening. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those items, uh, the Gacy items, as I mentioned, Richard Ramirez, his urn is uh, in the true crime exhibit, uh, the Night Stalker, that came directly from his wife, mm -hmm. uh, the woman that he married while uh, she was in prison. Uh, a, a little bit of the residue of his ashes are in there. They were scattered, but the urn is in there. And that urn uh, has had some pretty heavy activity uh, attached to it as well. In fact, the tag, I don't know if you know, when somebody is cremated, they put a piece, of, it's a metal tag that's in there that has a, your identification on it because even after they cremate you, that's the evidence and it goes in the urn, mm -hmm. right? Because it mm -hmm. doesn't burn. Right. That tag, uh, and there's, there's an account that she gave Zach of this, of that tag popping off on its own off of that urn. And you'll see the tag in there uh, as well as well as her handwritten account of how it happened. Yeah, I mean, once again, just the the the, the Bundy murder kit is 
It's so crazy because he did oh, yeah. have the kit. And what was in? Describe what was in there. Ski mask, yeah. ice pick, hand, you know, ties to, yeah. to bind ties, someone up, yeah. trash bags. And you would think, looking at that, that, you know, whoever, the, the state trooper that pulled him over and, you know, would say, okay, I, you know, something <laughs> bad's happening here. But it's not direct evidence. You know, it doesn't, yeah. you may have that in the back of your car, but if, if they can't prove right then that you murdered somebody, you may not be headed straight to jail. So as, you know, it is well known in the case of Bundy, you know, he had a lot of near brush, you know, brushes with the law, near misses of getting arrested and things like that. And it was a good long while before the law caught up with him. Last few things. Let's talk about Al Capone and the mirror. Yeah. Explain what the mirror is and what was happening with that mirror. And Yeah. So this is something else that has incredible provenance. This, uh, these items were auctioned recently. We've had it about a year or so, but these items were uh, given directly from Al Capone to his granddaughters. The granddaughters had these items right up until the time they sold them. So the Al Capone exhibit, which includes basically the bedroom furniture, the dresser, the mirror, the rug from his bedroom uh, in Florida that he passed away in. Uh, is set up in an exhibit in the museum, and those items came directly from Capone to his granddaughters to Zach. No, no middlemen in between. So that's the lineage. And the fascinating thing about mirrors, and this is one of a couple of high-profile mirrors we have in the museum, the other one being one that belonged to Bella Lugosi, but you want to talk about something that captures energy. I mean, you know, how many times... You know, is is your reflection reflected back to you in a mirror, especially one that's in your bedroom? Right. Now, add to the fact that it's, you know, likely capturing a death because that's the room that you passed away in. And the real interesting story of Al Capone and the paranormal and haunting is that he was always thought to be responsible for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Never prosecuted for it, but always thought to be responsible because seven members of a rival gang were lined up in front of a uh, wall in Chicago and gunned down. And Al Capone, to the day he died, was haunted by the ghost of one of the victims of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It was a guy named Jimmy Clark. Hmm. And there's testimony from his guards at Alcatraz, you know, once he was actually in prison, that he would be screaming at night, begging this ghost of Jimmy Clark to leave him alone. He used psychics to try to break that connection, never really seemed to, to get free of it, and quite possibly was haunted by it to his dying day. Wow. So you've got that mirror... Right. That, you know, not only captures most likely the, the, the last moments of Al Capone, but what was he seeing back? Was mm. he seeing that ghost of Jimmy Clark that haunted him until his dying right. day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a lot of energy in that room as well with the mirrors? Yeah, I, there is. Um, I always look in it in hopes to see, like, Al Capone looking back. That would be a cool <laughs> spirit to see. I'd be yeah. like... I'll tell you who was blown away by that exhibit was Rob Van Dam. Oh, yeah. He's a big mob guy. Oh, yeah. Right. He wanted to spend a lot of time in there. Yeah. So is is there anything else that we haven't discussed, Virginia, that's in the museum that, that, that either has a lot of energy or something that kind of creeps people out or creeps you out? Gosh. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. I know. This is just a, a Personally, yeah. of what's oh, in yeah. there. Personally, yeah. I could tell you, Robert Verdella's room, I knew Robert Verdella. So explain who Robert Rodella is. Uh, Robert Della is, Rodella is the Kansas City butcher. Oh. He was a serial killer. And uh, every time I go in that room and I see his face, I'm like, Man. You knew him? Yeah. How did you know him? 
oh, I Kansas City is my old stomping ground. Gotcha. And uh, he had a booth at the Westport Flea Market. And my friends and I went there all the time, talked to him all the time. Some of my friends bought stuff from him. And little did we know that when we were talking to him, he was going home and murdering, torturing these young men. And it's like, how the hell do you talk to somebody? And there's, he was so personable. You know, we'd walk in, he'd be like, hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, Bob, how you doing? Everybody at the museum thinks it's funny because I say Bob. And that's how I knew him, Bob from the flea market. I didn't know him as Robert Berdella. Right. And... You know, just to think, was there any red flags or anything that we missed? There is nothing. It's just... Uh. But like going back to the bed, you know, for me with Lamar Odom and Dennis Hoff, how about that? That right. Robert Berdella's crime scene yeah. appears where Virginia works, not in Kansas City, but in Las Vegas, <laughs> Nevada, right? I know. Right? I, I remember yeah. being in the break room and Zach was like, man, I got to get that. Robert Rodelli exhibit up and I'm like whoa what Who? Yeah. and I was like he's like what I said I knew Bob Rodelli he was like what and I told him and he was like man he goes your tours in there are gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you about uh, the item that is coming to the museum I was just that gonna, I yeah, told you I'm gonna give you the scoop and and you're such a you're such a pro Chris we teased it at the beginning of the podcast and we waited to the end to reveal it oh, we're keeping people listening final, final question. <laughs> no it's great um, so yeah, this is the first time we're putting this out anywhere because we just acquired this item. So your listeners are hearing about it first. But um, Zach has acquired the actual exorcism box that was used in a very famous exorcism case, a, a German girl named Annalise Mikkel. And this is the basis for the possession of Emily Rose movies. Oh, wow. So if you know those. Yeah, so this is the real-life story. It's the exorcism box. It's all the contents of the box. And it's a lot of the things that were associated with it. This box is, I mean, it was built in the late 1800s. So you're talking, you know, uh, uh, about something that is an incredible antique in its own right. But this is going to have its own exhibit and... We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I mean, it's boy. it's it it will be uh, it'll be ready in the maybe even by the time the podcast comes out, uh, you know, for for guests to view. So not you're actually getting after. you said a, a box. Or it's the exorcism box. So when a, when yeah, box? so so when a priest would perform an exorcism, uh, sort of like we were talking about the Dybbuk box earlier, there is a wooden box that has instruments that they will use, holy instruments, uh, uh, rosaries, you know, this type mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, things that will contain the holy water and all that. And and so contained within that box are those items. And this is the actual box that was used in that exorcism, as I said, along with there's actual uh, audio recording of the exorcisms that we will feature uh, in the exhibit as well. So uh, yeah, Virginia's crossing herself <laughs> over here. Uh, it's, it's, Thank it's, you, uh, the sign yeah, of the crowd. Yeah. Here we go. But uh, <laughs> yes, I mean that's the that's the daily existence of of being at and working in the Haunted Museum. Mm-hmm. You know, is I just wait to get that call from Zach that goes, "Hey, dude, check this out. Yeah. Look what we're getting. Oh, Look what I just man. got." You know, and so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully your listeners by the time they hear this, uh, Halloween's a great time to come to the Haunted oh, Museum. Sure. That's like. 
it's like our Christmas season. Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> I think we'll have that new exhibit uh, ready for our uh, our Halloween guests. Yeah. Last question. We've discussed many, many things. What's your favorite artifact in the museum? Like I said, for me, it's James Dean's uh, transaxle. That's mine. Yours James well. Dean's transaxle axle from Little Bastard. Now, I can tell you my second favorite. Please do. Um in the Ghostbuster room where he has like the movie artifacts. Yeah. One of the greatest depictions of Dracula was Bram Stoker's Dracula where Gary Oldman uh, played Dracula yeah. and Zach has the cane, little uh, blue eyeglasses uh, and prosthetic teeth. Oh, <laughs> I, like I love that. Yeah. My other favorite one, he is not in the museum anymore. It was Bonnie and Clyde's tackle box. He oh. had that. Yeah. So. That was in the car, in the uh, death car oh. when they were in. Yeah. So yeah. it's not in there anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something else we should point out too. Exhibits rotate in and out. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing I always like for guests to understand is, you know, they'll come sometimes and I think they assume it's like a movie. Mm-hmm. You see a movie once and it ends right, the same yeah, way yeah. every time. The Haunted Museum is exactly the opposite. The museum changes all the time. Zach is constantly collecting and our, our biggest problem is running out of room. So we're rotating new exhibits in all the time. And I I kind of uh, imagine a 60-day rule with this. I always tell people, I think if you come to the Haunted Museum 60 days after whenever your last visit was, you're going to see one or two new items probably, but sometimes mm-hmm. whole new exhibits. You know, like that. we just yeah. talked mm-hmm. about the uh, Possession of Emily Rose exhibit. I mean, that's, that's an example that, you know, and that it doesn't take very long for those to come up. As soon as a new item comes in, Zach is so excited mm-hmm. about getting it going and you know he's the hardest working guy i've ever been around so when you get that call he's like let's meet up at the museum so we we'll work all night and we'll get it ready for guests tomorrow i always get so, excited yeah. about presenting new stuff yeah. and now this emily rose thing it's yeah. like this but it's like that too yeah, it's, it's like too, yeah. yay and then it's like oh boy i wonder what's gonna happen in what's there me you know this this may surprise you. a lot of people may not even know this story but um I am fascinated by the Jerry Lewis exhibit in the Hollywood room. Uh, Jerry Lewis, famous comedian, Martin Mm -hmm. Lewis, nutty professor. But specifically because it is tied to a movie that he made called The Day the Clown Cried Mm. that no one has ever seen (laughs) because it was so horrible. He canned it immediately. So quickly, the story. He made a film in the early 1970s that is he portrays, he directed, produced, uh, starred in, he portrays a clown in a Nazi concentration camp yeah. who is entertaining children right. as they are being led to the gas, gas chambers. Chamber, yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, occasionally you will hear someone who has seen this thing, like Harry Shearer, for example, mm-hmm. Derek Smalls at Spinal Tap. He's seen it. And uh, I heard him telling the story on Howard Stern one time, and he's like, I just can't describe how bad this, you know, he's like, it starts off horrible and it gets it's worse, worse. And it gets worse. So uh, just, I think it's something about, we have the the props, the, the costumes he wore, the fake teeth that he wore in it, uh, some of the other props, some of the, the camera bags, some other things. But just, I'm, I'm, I think that's such a, fascinating weird story yeah. i just i'm i'm a fan of weird you know like tell me how this whole thing played out you know this guy was on top of the his profession and he made this horrible mistake right so uh, anyway but we tell that story and you see these items and you know one of these days if that film ever sees the light of day you'll be like i actually saw the props that were involved in it well it's, this is a great place and uh, so many cool things to see and come check out thanks to you guys for kind of opening the door and explaining mm-hmm. it all anytime yeah we'll back anytime. in and look at some of them again really yeah. enjoyed it you're welcome anytime thanks chris thanks guys